to So What Do You Think podcast special six-part series, Perth's Missing and Murdered Women. Tonight we're going to be looking at episode four, and in that episode we're going to be talking about Sarah McMahon and Darylin Eugle. Sarah McMahon, to start with, she was 20 years old and lived in Parkerville. She worked at Hugel and Hoyle Irrigation Company in Claremont. She was last seen leaving work on November the 8th, 2000, And her mother reported her missing the following day. No real information about her leaving. Nobody saw her other than walking out the door that night. No other sightings after that. Now, her Ford Meteor ended up being found in the car park of Swan Districts Hospital in Midland 12 days later. And her mobile phone was found on the median strip of Great Northern Highway, not far from there, a few days later. Now, in 2012, there was a coroner's inquest and it found that she was likely deceased. There had been no bank activity, no Centrelink benefits claimed and no passport activity. So have you heard anything about this case? The name rings a bell, but that's about it. She quite often comes up when people are talking about the Claremont serial killer, just mainly because she worked in Claremont. Yeah, yeah. People just sort of put it all together in that way I suppose after just the basics came out in the news uh, then we started to have a look at what else was happening that day and what actually happened at work before she actually left that day so now prior to her disappearance Sarah had been having a really bad time so she'd had quite a few family issues and had recently dropped out of uni due to developing a drug habit She'd been spending more and more time with a man named Donald Morey, and we have mentioned him in the past. Um, This was the lovely gentleman who was attacking prostitutes or sex workers in Highgate. Um, Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right, when we talked about Lisa Brown last time. On the day that she disappeared, she attended an after-work drinks briefly, but she told workmates that she needed to be in Bassendine by 530 She was asking people how long it would take her to get there and she was quite anxious about it because she said that if she was late, the bloke won't be there. That was her words, the bloke won't be there. The dealer, if she had a drug habit. Yeah, well, that was sort of the thinking afterwards. So Mm -hmm. she received two phone calls, one at 4.50 and one at 5 o'clock, after which she left the after-work drinks and she seemed happy, laughing, and said that she'd see everyone on Friday at work yeah Uh, she had only had one drink and she ended up leaving at around about quarter past five now looking into her phone data it later shows that those two calls were from donald morey okay and from 5 35 no calls were answered on her phone so we know that from then on she's just not around to pick up her phone or doesn't pick it up for whatever reason She had also arranged to pick up her sister at 8.30, but she never arrived to that. So we're assuming that whatever happened to her happened around the 5.30 mark. Yeah. Looking at the fact that she had called him or he had called her on the phone right before she disappeared, they noticed that the pinging, so by pinging I mean um, this is when the mobile phone towers pick up the call and direct it somewhere else, and it was the Midland Tower which would have covered both Swan District Hospital and the place where her phone was found. So he was in that area. Now, Donald Morey was 45 at the time of her disappearance and he had an extensive criminal record. 
He was charged with and convicted of that attempted murder of the female sex worker in 2003. He was also brought into this by a statement given by a witness called Tracy Ann Kendrick. And on November 11th, 2011, she said that she had actually seen the dead body of Sarah or someone who she believed to be Sarah. And she had seen her naked on the bed at the house of Maury's bosses. So this is a man named uh, Gareth Allen. She said that she saw her on the bed naked and she had blood on her face and body and there was a rope wrapped around her neck as well. And he later saw them both wrap her up in something and take her to a car. That was a pretty uh, compelling story from this lady, Tracy Ann. Uh, She had been told by Gareth Allen that he and Maura, yeah, they were responsible for the crime. This is what she says anyway. Yeah. She ended up coming forward quite a bit later just because she ended up being uh, quite ill. She was dying of an illness and wanted to get it off her chest, the old deathbed confession. It was said that she'd actually given statements to the police in the past around about the time that Sarah had gone missing, but she'd never mentioned this. So whether or not it really is just a deathbed confession and she's finally getting it off her chest or if for some other reason she had made something up. Look, as far as he goes and... Other than uh, the Claremont serial killer, Bradley Edwards, he's really the only person to look at (laughs) in this case. There's not really anybody else. (laughs) Very convenient that, you know, she'd been talking to him on the phone and that sort of thing. Uh, So if he wasn't involved, then that's very coincidental, all of the things that have happened. So we know that she was meeting a guy. She never said who it was. Now, the police did understand that he may have been involved from the word go, so they actually did do a little bit of investigating in this case. Amazing. Yep. Yep. Well, she wasn't a sex worker as far as I know, so, you know, obviously the police felt she warranted a little bit more of an investigation. Yeah. Further evidence from others said that he was interested in her on more of a personal level, but she just wasn't interested in him. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knew why they had been hanging out together because it was quite a big age gap there but it was suggested that she had been getting her drugs from him from him so like he said drug dealer yeah a witness friend of sarah's called christian hildebrandt said that one week before her disappearance she told him that she had actually started selling drugs for him and she said that maury had given her ten thousand dollars worth of amphetamines to sell also she said that she was in trouble because she'd actually broken the code of silence And she'd done this by, while she was on the phone to him one day, she used his name on the phone and she also mentioned drugs in the same conversation. So he had told her, never, ever use my name on the phone, never, ever talk about drugs. And, you know, she'd done the wrong thing. So she was really, really scared after this and she was worried about seeing him for the next time. Mm -hmm. Now, Maury lied about his whereabouts on that day and he even tried to fabricate his work records to show that he was at work at the time. And given that his boss was uh, this Allen guy, um, I'd say that probably he had a little bit of help there. Yeah. Allen's wife, Marta, claimed that around this time Maury would carry that kill kit. So if you go back to the Lisa Brown story, we did talk about Maury carrying a kill kit when we talked about our lined boot man. In his kill kit, he would carry uh, two rolls of duct tape, four lengths of rope, two knives, two large rubber bands, one condom, two pornographic magazines, a map and a bunch of key rings because she'd actually gone inside and had a look at it at some stage. Now, the porn mags showed rape scenes and simulated death scenes. 
So it showed really, you know, what he was into in that way. Even in the magazines it is. Yeah. Usually usually that's for when you're... um... You're not able to do what you can do, should do. <laughs> yeah, to do. but he's doing it allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Yeah. The police were informed about this, so um, Alan's wife Marta actually told them at the time. But by the time they went and tried to find this bag, it had disappeared. So he'd obviously got wind that they were coming to look for it. His story was when he was questioned that he had helped her leave the country voluntarily. Uh, he wouldn't say where she was, but says that she is perfectly happy and has two kids at the, at the moment, which is all very convenient. So let's break this down. She goes to work. She has a quick after work drink. She gets some phone calls from somebody, a guy. We know that that guy was Maury. We know from other people what they have said, and, you know, this is secondhand knowledge, so take it as you will, but she had been selling drugs for him and she was really scared of him because she had done the wrong thing in his eyes. People had also said that she uh, had rejected his advances, she wasn't interested in him that way, and he was upset about that. We then have his phone pinging right where her car was found and around about the place where her phone was obviously thrown out of a car. So what do you think? I think it's him. <laughs> uh, open shut case. Yeah. yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, too convenient. Too convenient. Oh, and she is safe and she has two kids. Yeah, very vague. Mm. Well, obviously. Um, and you're also in jail for whatever it was he did. He was assaulting an, a um, sex worker. He nearly killed her. There you go. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I feel as though this may not be much of a mystery at all. It's very frustrating that you can't pin it on him. Yeah, I know. And um, he the, he was actually implicated in another woman's murder as well. So um, we have information, very little information about her. Her name was Darylyn Ugal and she was a sex worker, an Aboriginal lady. Mm-hmm. Um, she was last seen on March 25th, 2003, and she was soliciting in Highgate, same sort of area as Elisa Brown. and. Her body was actually found, and I remember when this happened because I lived in this area at the time and just was horrified by it. Uh, there's a place up on Mundaring Weir Road called the Dell, and her body was actually found inserted into a tree. So I'm assuming it was like a big tree that was sort of split down the middle or something. Yeah. Um, she'd been put in there and burned. So oh. I remember hearing it on the radio and just being horrified by it, the poor lady. Yeah. Um, the connection to Maury was that he was known to use sex workers all the time and her body was found there, which was actually near his house in Chidlow. People sort of put two and two together that he might be responsible for that one as well. Mm. But not much has been done about that one either. He's never been charged with either of these mur- murders. So we need yeah. to say allegedly, you know, at this stage. Yeah, allegedly, but when a convicted man... Mm. charges against him like the ones that he's been charged with you just automatically are gonna go with yeah no that's not a good person that's not Mm -hmm. a nice guy Mm -hmm. um he was and was Sarah McMahon like they were acquaintances yes close acquaintances yeah yeah oh I just get so frustrated I know I know um and it was only because the woman that he was charged the assault with, um, she survived and could actually go tell someone what he'd done. 
Mm. Um, but if he has killed other people, they've not been able to tell their story at all. So, so yep. just to be to be thorough and in the trend of everything that we've been talking about, let's just talk about Bradley Edwards for a moment now. I feel as though this is not his MO. No. Um, we, we, I mean, really the only thing that links them, as I said, is the fact that she worked in Claremont. Yeah. Uh, we know that she was going to meet with Maury by the sounds of it. So yep. unless uh, Edwards intercepted her along the way, which wasn't his MO either, he took people that were walking on the street and picked them up in his car. So basically yeah. he would have had to have, grab her as she was going to her car or follow her in his car or something along those lines. It just seems um, like that would be a bit of a stretch. And yet we can kind of see that this is more likely that it is Maury. Now, Maury was released from prison last September after serving his entire sentence, which is quite rare. Most times people don't do their entire sentence, but he was a naughty boy in prison apparently, so did the whole lot, got let out, and he then he was back in court in just the last November for being caught carrying an article with intent to injure. Don't know what that was. Um, but instead of being sent back to jail straight away, uh, he was fined $2,000 for that. So here we have a convicted woman basher, someone who clearly tried to kill someone uh, who has potentially, maybe, allegedly killed other people as well, being caught not long, what is that, two months after getting let out of jail with uh, some sort of weapon by the sounds of it, and he was fined $2,000. So what do you think about that? I don't think what I think about that is something I should probably say on this podcast. <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I almost have no words but the words I do have are not good mm-hmm. that's disgusting and that's a joke and that's where I struggle to have faith in our um, legal system in our in our courts um, when they allow these things to happen people that are dangerous and potentially serial offenders just because we haven't been able to prove it doesn't mean it's not true so let's just let them back out on the street give him a slap on the wrist and wait till he re-offends and potentially hurt someone very badly or even kills them. Yeah, and the fact that he's walking around the streets with a weapon as well. No, we're not worried about that. $2,000 should cover it. Yeah. Yeah, very disappointing. Mm. Um, and, and I'd like to say that, oh, well, you know, it was back then when the police were a little bit dodgier and they may have learnt by now, but this was literally last year that he was just fined $2,000. No. So, um, look, don't get me wrong, I have every respect for police officers. I have family members that are police officers um, and I think that most of them are wonderful people, but things have to be said about some things that have happened over the last 30 years as far as investigating violent crimes against women go. And continue to happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly, especially with the macro case. Um, One cannot help but think that Bradley Edwards could have been caught a long time ago if they had not decided on who they thought it was. Yeah. And anyway, we digress, and that's it for this episode now, and we will be back next time. And in the next episode, we are going to be talking about Corinne Rainey. Oh, okay. All right, we'll see you then. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye. Bye.